Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hope Vale. I'm Sam, one of the pastors on staff here. Hey, I want to introduce you to somebody special here this morning. This is Billy Petty. He's going to be our guest worship leader here. So why don't we give him a uh, nice Hope Vale welcome. Glad you're here. Take a seat, man. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Let's stand up. You probably read it on the screen as it says in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So let's worship God with all we have today because he deserves that. Yeah. 
and worship the Lord with you guys today. Let's sing, continue to sing of this amazing grace. Here we go. Worthy 
is the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Before you have a seat, uh, thanks so much for being here, everybody. Take just a moment and say hello to people around you. For a sec. We'll be back in a sec. Well, good morning again, everybody. We are so excited that you are here with us on this beautiful, beautiful February day. Um, just one quick announcement, and that's for student ministries for middle school and high school students. We normally have programming on Sunday nights, but uh, we have tonight off, so uh, enjoy time with your families, and we'll be back next week. Um, we get to worship in a lot of different ways. We get to sing songs together. We get to hear from God's Word. We get to pray together. We also get a chance to, uh, to give back some of the resources that God has given to us. And so as the uh, ushers come forward this morning to take this morning's uh, offering, I just wanted to, to talk about the fact that, that God, he says in his word that he loves a cheerful giver. And so we don't give out of um, guilt or compulsion or any of that. We just give because God has blessed us so generously. And we want to give back and, and further his kingdom and further his work in our world. And so there's many different ways that you can do that here. Um, you could do it the, the old-fashioned way where the plates pass and you put a check in or your cash in or whatever. But we also have online ways to, to give as well uh, through our mobile app and through uh, just online giving, you can sign up on our, our website to do that. So as we prepare to give, let's go to God in prayer. God, we just uh, thank you for who you are and, God, for what you are, are doing in our midst, um, what you plan to do in our future, what you want to do around the world. And so, God, I pray that uh, you take these resources that we're about to give and use them in the lives of people to make a big difference for your name. God, that, that the, the things that we give would make you big and that we would uh, decrease and you would increase in our world. And so, God, we get to play a little part in that. We're excited about that. And so we give in that manner. In Jesus' name, amen. What fortune lies beyond the stars Those dazzling heights too fast to 
just like you love to hear your child's voice. I'm a new dad, and when my baby speaks my name or when she says dada, messes me up. And um, God, God wants to hear our voice too so we can reach out to him and he can hear our voice and be reminded that we are his most precious. So let's do that today as we call out to him. He deserves that and so much more of our praise, gang.
first. God, we're reminded that your spirit is our comforter and our healer and our friend. And God, you are our very presence through your spirit, and we praise you for that. So as these times stand still, as these moments stand still today, God, would you meet us here continually? Open up our hearts what it is that you want to uh, say to us, whether it's through worship or through the word or through quietness. We have these moments, God, where we can just come and sit at your presence, sit at your feet. So, God, we don't want to take this for granted. That's why we show up. We love you, God. And it's your spirit that we pray will just envelop this place. And so we sing.
God bless you, Hope Vale. Thanks so much for being here. Let's have a seat and we'll prepare for our time for the word. Thank you, Billy and, and worship team. Great morning, huh? By, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think if I was a Southern preacher, this is where I would get out my hanky and kind of wipe my brow right now, you know. God is with us. And so we were singing that. We actually were, were thinking about that song and, and praying before the service. And there's a sense where we, we sing that collectively. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. But there's a sense where we need to sing that personally. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Right? And that's, that's why we worship. That's why we open our hearts to the Word of God. And here we are, and we are moving along in our series entitled Hashtag Blessed. Learning and Living the Beatitudes of Jesus. And as we've seen in this series, this passage is the most complete and concise statement about the blessings of God that you will find anywhere. And so while everyone wants to lead a blessed life, the real question is, what does a blessed life look like? And how do you do it? That is, according to Jesus and not according to our own whims and wishes. So that's what we've been exploring. And up to this point, I think we would say it has been very challenging. Challenging for all of us. Because so far we've looked at the first two Beatitudes of Jesus, and they have forced us to take a good look, an inward look, an honest look at what we see with ourselves deep within. And so starting off, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we see these words from Jesus. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That contrary to how religious we might appear to others or confident we might feel about our own moral goodness, these words from Jesus expose our spiritual poverty. That when it comes to improving our standing before God and keeping his righteous requirements according to his word, we have nothing, we bring nothing, we can do nothing. And yet, if we can come to grips with the humbling diagnosis of the state of our soul and feel the desperation that it brings, then we're finally going to be in a position to see Jesus, our Savior, for who he truly is and who he wants to be for us, right? And so then as a Christian, as someone who runs to Jesus out of their desperation and clings to his righteousness, right, instead of their own, and they do so all throughout their life. That's why the poor in spirit, that's why the spiritually desperate among us, the kingdom of heaven is ours. Truly ours both now and forever. Desperate and blessed. And then last week we read the second of Jesus' eight blessed our statements in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That's just as the first beatitude describes spiritual poverty, this second beatitude talks about our mourning in a spiritual sense. That to mourn spiritually is to recognize our selfishness, our stubbornness, our sinfulness before a holy God and to feel genuine heartfelt sorrow because of it. We mourn, we're, we're saddened by that because we know that how we actually live in love 
in real life falls so far short of our longings to want to please God, and we mourn because that disparity breaks our heart. And yet, and yet in that brokenness, the gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to repentance. Repentance, to humbly and honestly name our specific sins before the Lord. And we do so not just to tell the Lord that we're sorry that we've sinned against him, but that we also want to change, that we also want to live differently. And that repentance, the Apostle Paul tells us, leads us to the deep comfort of God's salvation. And that comfort leaves no regret. So the grace of Jesus both forgives us and frees us to live better for him. Hallelujah for that, right? So desperate and blessed, broken and blessed. This is where Jesus starts when he talks about the blessings of God and how we can truly lead a blessed life. It's upside down thinking compared to everything else we see around us, right? And it's this work of God that begins in us from the inside out. Like I've said before in this series, you just can't go to the Beatitudes and cherry pick the ones at the end that you like if you're too proud and too arrogant to own up to how the Beatitudes diagnose us at the beginning of that list. And so we come to the Beatitudes, we come to Jesus, spiritually desperate, spiritually broken, and with that kind of humble heart, with that kind of teachable spirit, we're now ready to move on to the third of Jesus' eight blessed our statements. But before we take a look at that one, let's go ahead and once again, I think I gave you a break last week on this, uh, we're going to read through all the Beatitudes together. So uh, stand with me if you're able, and let's read through this. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well done. Go ahead. You can have a seat. And as we've done kind of throughout this series, I want to strongly nudge you to take up the challenge of not just reading through the Beatitudes every week, but memorizing them, right? I, I know you can do it. You really can. I mean, if you think about it, it seems like we've been in this series very long, and, and yet we've only covered two so far, right? Those first two, blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know that one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Genius. Genius. I mean, if... 10.45 and 12.30 can even come close to the dedication in this service. They'll be doing well, right? So you got those two. You're right on track. Then this week, after we look at today's beatitude, you can just concentrate on those first three, right? You got this. I, I know you do. So then speaking of that third beatitude, let's go ahead and see what Jesus says next. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. He says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Simple enough, right? As a matter of fact, I go so far as to say that of all the Beatitudes we've looked at up to this point, this one seems like the least complicated. Least com I mean, think about it. Spiritual poverty, spiritual mourning, those are pretty intense concepts. But this one, meek, inherit, 
earth. I think we got a handle on that one, right? Or do we? Well, this is our beatitude for today. And to start, I want us to take a moment. I want us to think more about this word meek, okay? So I'm going to have you do an experiment with me. And I'm going to need your participation on this, okay? Everyone to make this really work. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye someone you would describe as meek, okay? Not a definition, but a name a face, a person, okay? It's this meek individual that you picture, okay? Go ahead and do that real quick, then you're done. Open your eyes, look back up at me, okay? All right, did you come up with someone? Just nod, okay, let me, you're, you're, okay. All right, you got this picture of someone who's meek, and I realize we have hundreds of people in this room, and it's safe to say that you probably then didn't come up with the exact same answer of this individual, this face, this name that you pictured as meek, right? But I've been here for a while. I think I know you guys well enough to maybe guess at some of your responses, okay? So when I said the word meek, when I had you imagine a name and a face, I, I'm pretty sure you didn't come up with this guy, right? Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? I think we'd all say not meek, right? By the way, I love that picture, right? Because he's like totally stealing my look, you know? <laughs> the muscle tee, the tats, the gold chain. You know, why do you think I wear long sleeves every week, right, up front? <laughs> Me and The Rock, you know, we're just like this. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, not me. It's not who you thought of. But maybe you did think of this guy. Oh, actually, I have two guys for you, depending on your age, okay? So if you're like in maybe your mid-40s or younger, I bet some of you pictured this guy, right? So, yeah. Jim Part Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory, right? Slight of build, nerdy, thinks he's tough, not really. Was I close? Yeah, probably. But that's for our younger crowd. And I don't want to leave those of us who are more seasoned among us. So let's say you're maybe kind of high 40s, or older, I know who you thought of. This guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good old Barney Fife from the Andy Griffith Show, right? Kind heart, wants to do the right thing, bumbles his way through life, backs down at the first sign of trouble, meek, right? So those are the pictures that might have come to your mind when we hear the word meek, and if we had time then to kind of flesh out a definition or we did a little word association, my guess is that when I see the word meek, you think of things like this, timid, weak, passive, unassertive, spineless, wishy-washy, easily intimidated. That however we describe it, the image of meekness that comes to mind is far from positive, right? And if you're like me, you're probably wondering, well, what's Jesus getting at here then, right? Blessed are the meek. Does he want us to be these doormats in life, right? Where other people are just walking all over us, pushed around, kicked around, bullied. We're always giving in to other people and never getting our own way. Listen, I know that the Beatitudes are upside down. I know they go against the grain of the values of our culture, but meekness, weakness, I mean, it seems like it's going too far, don't you think? And it is if that's what Jesus meant. But it's not. No, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, he had something else in mind. And I'm going to show you one more picture, okay? 
And I can pretty much guarantee that none of you here had this in mind when we did this whole word association experiment. That when Jesus talks about meekness, this is a much better word picture. Do you know who this is? This is the legendary racehorse, Secretariat. Most horse racing experts would agree that he was the best who's ever raced. Back in 1973, he won the elusive Triple Crown. He was the first horse to do it in 25 years. And the victory that he had in the last leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes, is considered by many as the greatest feat in all of horse racing history. He finished, get this, 31 lengths ahead of the rest of the field in a record time that still stands some 44 years later. Incredible. And that's the story of Secretariat. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I know what you're thinking. No fair, that's a horse, not a person. And yeah, okay, you got me, right? But the bigger question you should be asking yourself is this. What does that have to do with being meek? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, meekness isn't weakness, as we might normally think. Meekness isn't weakness. No, meekness is controlled strength. Meekness is harnessed power. Meekness is focused energy and disciplined action for a greater purpose. That's what Jesus had in mind when he spoke this beatitude. Because the main issue when it comes to meekness isn't so much strong versus weak. No, meekness assumes power. The real question is in control, out of control. That's why a racehorse like Secretariat is such a good word picture. As a matter of fact, you go back in history, you go back when Latin was the predominant language in the world, and you discover that there was a term used to describe a meek person. You can see here, uh, mansuetus, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is really this compound word, manu, that's like where we get manuscript, right, hand, and sweatus for used to. And, uh, and so this term, used to the hand, was used, you can see here, as a horse is trained, when it's broken, it's considered to be used to the hand of the trainer. Use to the hand. One who is meek is used to the hand. See, so you think about secretariat. Think about any horse that hasn't yet been broken. The power is there, but it's not yet harnessed. So you try to approach the horse, what does it do? It bucks, it kicks, it thrashes about, resists any kind of guidance. Why? Because it is not yet used to the hand. See, that's where the trainer comes in. And so it's his or her job as a trainer to bring all that power, to bring all that strength under control, to get that animal what? Used to the hand so that a horse is more at peace, so that its energy is now focused, what? For a more productive purpose. A few years ago, Disney Studios actually produced a movie about Secretariat, and it's a good family-friendly movie. Some really stirring scenes at the end with some incredible race footage, but there's one small part earlier in the movie where the younger or the owner of the younger secretariat is sizing up the horse and brings in this veteran uh, horse trainer for kind of his expert analysis of secretariat, right? Early on in the life, let's take a look. Well, Mr. Lauren, 
What do you think? Well, I think he's 1,100 pounds of baby fat. He eats too much and too often. The only reason he doesn't eat more is because he's too busy sleeping. He only does what he wants to do exactly when he wants to do it. He lays against the back of that starting gate like he's in a hammock in the Caribbean. And when he finally does get out of the gate, it takes him forever to find his stride. Any other questions? I have one. How much did you spend on that hat? <laughs> I don't know if you caught all the lines. What do you think? It's 1,100 pounds of baby fat. He eats too much. He sleeps too much. And then my favorite line, he only does what he wants to do exactly when he wants to do it. He only does what he wants to do exactly when he wants to do it. See, Secretariat didn't come as a prepackaged champion. The potential was there, the raw power, the speed, but not the control and certainly not the attitude. Why? Because he was not yet used to the hand. That's the idea behind meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, the real question Jesus is asking us is, are you, am I, used to the hand? And you know whose hand we're talking about here, right? We're talking about God. We're talking about his hand of authority over our lives. Have our passions been brought under his control? Do we submit to his authority, to his training in our lives? Or are we more like young secretariat, where it is said of us, he, she, only does what he wants to do exactly when he wants to do it? And so just like the previous two Beatitudes, this is about our attitude. This is about our hearts. This is about our will and whether we are stubborn or submissive toward God. See, the kind of meekness Jesus wants to see in us, it's not about us always giving in to other people all the time, kind of that doormat, wet rag, you know, theory. No. It's about us giving our lives over to the Lord and surrendering to his will in everything. You see this in the life of Jesus. You do who the Gospels describe as meek. And it is clear, isn't it, that his meekness certainly is not weakness. Jesus was no pushover. He stood up to both religious and governmental authorities, and he never backed down. But he was never out of control. And he didn't do all this simply to make a point, to prove he was right. No, all that strength, all that power was brought under the authority of who? Of his heavenly Father. And so Jesus says things like, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. I'm not here on my own authority. I do nothing on my own, but I just speak what the Father has taught me. Or the words I say to you, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Surrendered, submissive, meek. And you see this come to fruition when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling in prayer with his heavenly Father, struggling to go to the cross. And at the climax of his prayer, Jesus says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup, this fate of suffering that is ahead of me. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, meekness starts with surrender. And if that's how Jesus lived while he walked this earth, how much more should we too 
follow in his footsteps, where we're not fighting, we're not resisting, we're not thrashing around against God's direction in our life, but we are humbly submitting to his word, to his will, and to his ways. So what does that look like for us? How do we grow in meekness? How can you and I get used to the hand of God's authority in our lives and overcome that young, unbroken secretariat within us? There's actually a lot we can do, but I just want to focus on a couple things. And that would be the Scripture and the Spirit. God's Scripture, God's Spirit. See, the first has to do with our openness and our responsiveness to the Bible. When God tells us how we should and shouldn't live, what we should and shouldn't do, are we stubborn or are we submissive? The Apostle James makes this very unique statement in James chapter 1, verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. To me, this is a training verse that when we reject God's authority and follow the dictates of our own wants and desires, what? It leads to moral filthiness and rampant wickedness, a life out of control. But on the flip side, Jane says if we can put that away, if we instead receive God's word with meekness, with humility, and let it implant itself deep within us, that's when it can then begin to take root so it can eventually bear fruit. And so everyone here today, you know, we are receiving God's word, but are we receiving it with a meek and humble heart? Because when you do, the Lord will change you from the inside out. And when it comes to his scripture, how God wants to use his word, he's going to take meekness of attitude, plus frequency of exposure, plus duration of time, and God will change us, conform us, train us. That's how he works. But it's not only his scripture, it's also his spirit. God uses his Holy Spirit to grow us in meekness. You sung those songs today, right? I found my life when I what? I laid it down. This is where those of you who were here last fall for our series on the Holy Spirit are an advantage. Again, it's a matter of surrender. Galatians 5, verse 16. So I say, the Apostle Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you break the stubbornness of your will? What is it that's going to eventually get you to the place where you're willing to submit to God's hand of authority in your life? Ultimately, it's not just sheer willpower on our own. No, it's the Holy Spirit living in you as a Christian. And it is your desire to cooperate with his work in your life. That's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you around by bit and bridle so he can mold you into a champion for Christ. For some of us, it's breaking us of our unruliness. For others of us, it's breaking us of our laziness. For all of us, it's the Garden of Gethsemane mentality where we too can say to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So it's the Scripture. It's the Spirit. This is how we grow in meekness. This is how we become more and more like the people Jesus is describing when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But how do you know, right? How can you really tell if you are growing in meekness? What's the test? What does it look like? You know, it's one thing to say that meekness begins when we surrender our lives to God, when we get to, used to his hand of authority in our lives, but 
can we tell what's happening on the outside? Well, the Bible says yes. That meekness starts with God, but then it also becomes apparent in the way we treat others. It becomes apparent in the way we handle the ups and downs of life, both success and disappointment. Meekness is a wonderful quality, but sometimes you never know it's quite there until the most difficult of circumstances arise. Again, I think of Jesus. I think of the final hours of his life before he is crucified. The Bible makes it clear, this is interesting, that Jesus suffered his worst mistreatment after he submitted to the will of his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, we're often misled into thinking that life should be at its best after we've had a moving experience of prayer or of worship, right? But that certainly wasn't the case for Jesus. Beaten, mocked, whipped, scourged, cursed at, spat upon, lied against. And yet, how did he respond? Here's how the apostle Peter, years later, describes it. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead what? Instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. If Jesus in that moment had acted like a young, stubborn secretariat, he would have retaliated. He would have made threats. But he didn't. Why? Because he entrusted himself. He surrendered control of that situation to him who judges justly. That is meekness in action. Meekness doesn't fly off the handle. Meekness doesn't seek revenge. Meekness doesn't put others in their place just to make itself feel better. Again, it's not because Jesus is a doormat. That's not meekness. No, meekness is this underlying trust in God all throughout the entire race of our lives, especially when things get hard. Jesus entrusted himself to his heavenly Father all the way through to the very end of his life. And because of that, Jesus was eventually rewarded for his surrender through his resurrection, through his ascension, and through his exaltation as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, you are the only king forever. That's what meekness looks like in the life of Jesus, and the same is true for us. Now, the specifics of our life circumstances are going to be radically different, right? But how we handle difficulty, how we handle opposition, how we handle disappointment, these are all opportunities for our meekness to shine through. Again, I think back to Galatians chapter 5, which talks about our life with the Holy Spirit. We are told that when we walk by the Spirit, there will be fruit of the Spirit that is outwardly evident in our lives. Galatians 5, verse 22, verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I know this passage is one that's familiar to some of you here, but what struck me this past week as I'm rereading these verses in light of this beatitude is how much these words overlap with the concept of meekness, right? That if you are growing as a meek person, then you will demonstrate these qualities in your life in ever-increasing fashion. Now, we can talk about all of these, but let me camp on three. And as I do, I just want us to be honest with ourselves, right? Honest with ourselves, like how well or how poorly am I measuring up with these? See, because first of all, meek people are patient people. 
patient people, forbearing, or as another Bible translation puts it, long-suffering. That is, we're able to endure tough times without lashing back or melting down. And this isn't patient that comes with a personality trait. No, this is patience that comes from surrender, patience that comes from submission, this patience that comes from trusting that God is going to work in his perfect timing, even if it seems super slow to us. Conversely, impatience is a sign of a lack of meekness. Impatient people take matters into their own hands because God isn't coming through the way they want him to when they want him to. The story of King Saul in the Old Testament is a sad illustration of this, a man who's too impatient to wait upon the Lord, and thus he forfeits his crown. That's the opposite of meekness. So meek people are patient people. Meek people are also gentle people. Do you bully people around just to get your own way? Do you manipulate other people, manipulate either through deceptive words or fake emotions? Generally speaking, how do other people feel when they're around you? So gentleness shows up in things like how well we listen to others. Gentleness shows up in things like how respectful we are of people and their opinions. And you think about that especially in a highly charged political environment like we live in today. where We feel so compelled to voice our own opinion for the sake of gentleness. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree with people, right? It's not, that's not meekness. It just means we're not going to try to tear them down to prove that we're right all the time. See, gentle people put others at ease, but a lack of gentleness puts others on edge. How would people describe you? At ease or on edge? Be the kind of person that puts others at ease. Meek people are gentle people. And then finally, meek people are people of self-control. Self-control is the hallmark of meekness. It shows that we're trusting God. And so whether it's resisting temptation to give in to immediate pleasures that are harmful for us in the long run, or it's fighting the urge to lash back in retaliation, self-control is us submitting the whole of ourselves, body, soul, mind, spirit, our will, our emotions, to God's hand of authority in our lives. God, take hold of my emotions before they take hold of me. As it says in Proverbs, a person who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken through. When we lack self-control, we are defenseless. We live at the whim of whatever circumstances come our way. So yes, disappointments in life happen, but a person of self-control doesn't, that, doesn't let those dictate their lives. Right? So meekness, again, it's not weakness. No, meekness is controlled strength. It's harnessed power that God wants to use for his greater purposes, and he will do it according to his will, his way, and his timing. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they will inherit the earth. So we've talked a lot about meekness and how it's actually a good thing that God wants to grow in each one of us. But as I begin to wrap up, what about the blessing? What about this reward? What does Jesus mean when he says that the meek will inherit the earth? Well, those very words actually come from the Old Testament, Psalm 37, verse 11. And for most of Jesus' original listeners, they would have not only known the reference, but they also would have known the context. See, Psalm 37 is a psalm that David wrote to encourage fellow believers in the midst of adversity, in the midst where the wicked seem to be prospering while the righteous are suffering. 
And when you and I are, as worshipers are in an environment like that, you know, when it feels like, you know, how come the good people are losing, how come the bad people are winning, right? You can begin to struggle. You can begin to doubt. You can begin to wonder things like, God, why is this happening? God, are you there? God, is this worth it? And so David, in wanting to encourage others to keep the faith, he says things like this in Psalm 37. Trust the Lord and do good. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. And then he also says things like, do not fret. Do not worry. Do not be envious of those who have rejected the Lord. Because if you stay true to all these things, God will reward your trust. He will reward your submission. He will reward your surrender. The meek will inherit the earth. That's Psalm 37. It's the background to the promise in this beatitude, and the concept still holds true with us. So when Jesus says to us, though, that the meek will inherit the earth, it's not so much that we're all going to get this plot of land that we can call our own, okay? But it is that God will honor the faith of those of us who can remain committed and submitted to him. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, verse 7. I'll close with this. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore. Under, uh, under what? God's mighty hand. His loving hand. His caring hand. So what? So that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God will, in his due time, give you Give your heart the honor that it's longing for. And he will do that both in this life and in the life to come. See, Peter also in this book talks about an inheritance that Christians will receive, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, that is kept in heaven for you. This is an inheritance that is far greater than anything we could ever possibly imagine, and so we as believers look forward to that with great hope. But even in this life, God says to us, Leave the honor business up to me, okay? Leave the lifting up business up to me. Your time will come. Your job simply is to be humble before me in meekness, under my mighty hand, under my hand of authority in your life, my hand of training, my, my hand that wants to mold you into becoming a champion of Christ. Don't buck it. Don't resist it. So don't worry. Don't get anxious that you're missing out on something. Why? Because the Lord says to you, I care for you. Right? Guess all your worries, right? all those doubts of faith, all the, the, the wondering of, you know, is this? Cast all those worries on the Lord because he cares for you. Right? It's God's way of saying, I've got plans for you that are beyond your wildest dreams. I just need you to trust me. I just need your, your life to be submissive to the scriptures, to the Spirit's work in your life. Let them do their transformative work in you. And as they do, I will. I will lift you up places you, you couldn't even imagine in my perfect timing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
Your hand is a mighty hand. Your hand is a powerful hand. But your hand over our lives is a hand of love. It's a hand of care. It's a hand that sees potential in us that we can't even see for ourselves. God, you want to grow us. You want us to conform us into your image to live and to love just like Jesus. And God, we resist it. And so even now, with empty hands, with open hearts, we come. We bring you the entirety of our lives and for every one of us, we want to bring that stubborn, resistant area of our life back under your hand because we want to get used to the hand, your loving hand. And so, Father, maybe it's an area of patience. Maybe it's an area of gentleness. Maybe it's an area of self-control. God, we don't want to be content, mediocrity. We don't want to really trick ourselves into believing that we know better than you. And so we come with meekness so that your scriptures, your spirit, will do their loving and transformative work in our lives. God, we love you. And so we come surrendered to your greater purposes, trusting that as we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that you will lift us up in due time. This we pray with surrendered hearts, hearts of worship, hearts of love, hearts of gratitude, hearts of praise, all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and respond with this song of worship. Time in the Word and time... Uh, being exposed to the things of God requires response. Our parents teach us when we're little, when something good happens, they say what, or somebody does something for you, you say thank you. And so now's our time to tell God thank you and that we love him and that we want to commit our lives to him. So let's do that together. You stood before creation Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my failure Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders. My soul now to stand. So what can I say?
That's where meekness begins. I offer my heart, Lord, completely to you. And that's the invitation, the loving invitation that Jesus extends to every one of us. Next week, we will continue our series through the Beatitudes and talk about spiritual hunger. But as you go from here, may God's hand of blessing and authority be upon your life for your good. God bless you.